Amen. I'm going to say be seated if you can. Amen. I, so I tell you guys often that, uh, you know, I'm going to take a running lap around here. And so, you know, I have to contain myself because God hadn't told me to yet. Um, but if, he tell, if I come running by you, you just go ahead and assume that God told me to, all right? I've been asking him, but he ain't told me to yet. But I'm, it's going to happen one of these days. Uh, i tell you what, it sure is awesome to see every seat in this place full and people sitting even in the common area and even in overflow rooms. And I'm just thankful that we're continuing. Listen, we've got a, I know we've got a space problem, right? Um, but don't let that be a hindrance to you, okay? And don't let it be a hindrance to you that the preacher preached long this morning. You had to wait and find a spot and all that. Uh, just pray for me, okay, and have grace for me. But I want to tell you, I'm so glad that you're here, and I believe God's got a word for me and you. And he's going to honor you taking your time saying, I want to meet with him, and I want God to speak to me. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and make your way to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> Genesis chapter number 3. We're going to have a, a message to men this morning, and we're going to have a message to women this morning. We're going to have a message to young people this morning. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited about it, and I believe God's going to do a work in our hearts from the very beginning. Genesis chapter number 3. By the way, the word Genesis means origins. In other words, where things began. And uh, I believe with all my heart God created, and he did so. I'm a big bang theory guy. All right? Yeah. Amen. Now, go tell somebody that. My preacher is a big bang theory guy too, you know? And then you say, what are you, world? I thought he was a Christian. He is a Christian. The big bang of God's voice. And uh, there it is. He said it, and then it happened. And wow. And then he got to man, and he used his hands to do that. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Here's the title of our message. Clarity to all the confusion. We just want a little clarity today to all of the confusion. How many of you know that we're living in a world that's confused? And not only are we living in a world that's confused, we are oftentimes teaching our children material that is confusing, uh, whether it be in the institutions of higher learning or it be in our own homes, the television shows and rodeo stuff that we listen to. Uh, we bombard the young generation with confusing messages. And so today I hope to, I aim to, I pray to, by the power of God and His Holy Spirit and His Word to bring clarity to all the confusion, okay? Now, some of you are going to leave out of here mad at me and, and angry and all that, but listen, you won't be confused, amen? You'll have a clear, direct, pointed line that you can, it's a plumb line, and, uh, and there you'll be able to choose what you want to do with But I just want you to remember this, before you get angry with me, get to know me. I'm a pretty nice guy. Uh, I didn't write the book. I just have been called and gifted by God to preach and teach the book. And I've learned that the book has stood the test of time. Generations of people a lot smarter than me and you. Generations and cultures and societies. And here it stands today, translated all the way down into the English, and you've got a copy in your hand. That's phenomenal. So, as we dive into that today, I want to just say clarity to the confusion. How many of you know that confusion creates chaos? Whether it's a confused man, a confused woman, a confused marriage, a confused young person, creates chaos. If you don't believe it, go to the t-ball fields and watch those first-year t-ballers, huh? I always tell the story, one of my favorite stories is when Riley, I'd got him to run the first, and we get that part down. It was about the second practice or third, maybe. We were playing a little practice game, and Riley hits the ball, and I was a proud dad because he ran the first. He didn't run the third. He didn't run the pitcher's mound. He ran the first. And I'm like, look at him. That's my boy. He knew where to run. He's running the first, and he gets over on first, and his best, one of his best friends is playing first base, but he's the first baseman for the other team. And so I uh, pull my attention back to the game, and I'm watching, and I'm ready for the next batter. And after a few minutes, I glance over, and there Riley is taking the glove from the boy that's playing first. Now Riley's playing first, and the guy that's supposed to be playing first is now the base runner. And I don't know how that works. How do you score that? I don't know. Um, but confusion creates chaos. And chaos is good for nobody. Uh, I don't know about you, but you've been in situations that have been chaotic. Have you? 
You ever been in chaos? Anybody can say that in your, somewhere along the line of your work career, you've been some, in some chaos? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, maybe you've been in some classroom settings or some team settings where things were a little bit chaotic. Yeah. Uh, now, here's the moment of truth. How many of you can say that there's been chaos in your own home? How, y'all are more honest than the 830 group. I had to work on them to get them to honest. I said, so if you didn't raise your hand, you're saying that your children always do exactly what you say to do right when you say do it. And then they finally raise their hands, right? Chaos. Chaos. And so today... I'm going to speak to leadership, to the male. I'm going to speak to the lady's role of being a helpmate, and, oh, we're going to address all of that. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. I'm telling you, before you leave, it's going to be so clear that you can't be confused. As we think about leadership, let me tell you something, guys, quickly about that. I thought back over the years to things and situations where I have failed leadership. For instance, there was one time when we were at my aunt and uncle's house in Louisiana, we were doing some swimming, and as we were there, I was sitting on the steps there, and Maddie was probably four or five, I guess. Tina will let me know maybe about that age. She's sitting on the steps beside me, and we're talking. Tina's outside the pool laying out. My dad's over there. Uh, Riley's in the deep end. He's got his floaties on. He's in one of those rings, so y'all don't panic. He's good in the deep end, and he's out there playing, having a good time. And I'm sitting on the stool on the, on the steps in the water with her, and I say to her, hey, stay right here. Uh, I'm fixing to go out here. Uh, and so we kind of talk, and I, we talk some more, and I forget. It had been a little time since I told her to stay here. I get up to go out the deep end, and all of a sudden, I look over to my left, and my dad's like acting cr- like a crazy person. Like he's jumped off of his seat, and he's stumbling around. He skinned his knee up. Remember going in, slid his back down the concrete, fell in the water. I'm like, what is wrong with this guy? And all of a sudden, he's swimming. He's going, and I'm, I'm turning my left, and as I'm panning, I'm seeing my wife getting up and panicking, heading that way. So I'm thinking, I need to go that way too, right? I turn and head that direction, and I'm heading toward that end, and I notice there's a dark object at the bottom of the pool. And I'm like, we're all going to this dark object. All right. And I'm just panicking. We're all heading that way. Dad gets there first, reaches down, grabs the dark object, pulls it up out of the water, and it's Madison. And what's happened is. I didn't realize it, but she had followed me to a place of destruction. Now, sir, I want to say something to you this morning. If you're not careful where you lead, your wife and your children will follow you to a place of destruction. Fast forward to this past summer. Some, I guess, I don't know, 18, 19 years later, we are in Shell Beach, Louisiana. We're going down for my graduation. My dear friend Dee said, come stay at my fish camp. We went and stayed at the fish camp. All the daughters and bonus daughters went, and, and, uh, and sons were there. We're all having a good time. And I told the guys, I said, hey, we ought to get the ladies to go out on, in the boat first. Let them go fishing. And so we loaded all them up, and boy, they headed out. And, and the guys were, well, I'll just tell you, the younger guys, they weren't real happy about that idea, you know. Uh, they really wanted to go fishing. And so they had this kind of like, you know, little, little, and I said, guys, just follow the old guy. I said, well, let the ladies go, let them fish, let them have fun, let them catch them. They won't be near as interested in how long we go out when it's our turn, all right? And so we kind of did the deal, and we said, matter of fact, we'll take the kids swimming, and right across the street was a pool, we'll take the kids swimming, y'all go have fun, catch, you know, catch fish, and I'm thinking, we're going to get to go, and we'll probably go, you know, twice, but anyway. So they went, and we went, took the kids, went over to the swimming spot, and the swimming pool was a little different, I've never seen one like it. The shallow end was only about four to six inches deep, but it was a shelf, it was flat. Uh, but what happened when you got to the end of that shelf, it dropped off to four feet. I mean, it went right away to four feet. And I would, by the way, it's not a very good design if you're going to have children in there. You'll, y'all know where this is going, don't you? So I'm on the, on the shallow end playing with Morgan and Swayze. Riley's got a Scott man in his little floaty thing with a little shelf over it, so y'all don't panic. He's good too. And Riley's out there playing with him. And I am up there playing with the girls, and I decide I want to go out there to the deep end again. It almost sounds like the same scenario, doesn't it? 
So I get up, and I go out there, and I go out to where he is, and all of a sudden, I look over on the side, and Daniel's panicking, and he's doing like my dad. He's falling, flopping, headed to that end, and I look that way, and everybody's heading that way, so I turn and head that way, and there's a dark object again at the bottom of the pool. And this time, it's not Maddie. It's the junior version. It's Swayze. And Daniel reaches down, pulls the dark object from the bottom. They all scoop her up. She's got water draining from her nose and mouth. She's good. She's still alive, by the way, so everybody's okay. We get her cleaned up, you know, we get her, we get her, you know, back in the boat, if you will. And we all, by the way, you don't talk about these things. So we go on about our business. We all say, we're not going to talk about these things. We already knew we we had an agreement. We all leave. So later that day, we're having breakfast with the family, everybody. And I think we're enjoying some pancakes or something. I don't know. And we're just having a great time. And all of a sudden that ladies are sitting at the table and the guys are kind of sprinkled around. I've got my back to them. I'm sitting at the bar eating my pancakes. And, and all of a sudden I hear Swayze say, I drowned this morning. And I had this, pan- my back to my, I got this panic look like, oh, we're all sunk, you know. And so I glanced left and right. The younger guys are all looking at me. And so I say, hey, when are y'all going fishing later? You know, what did y'all catch? Tell us about the fishing trip. And the ladies, too wise for that. They didn't hear one bit of that sidetrack. They're looking at Swayze. And they said, tell us about this. Well, I was in the shallow end, and, I, and the guys were with me, and I sank all the way to the bottom, and I drowned. And I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> well, she didn't really drown because she's here, you know, and anyway, so... Uh, Guys, careful where you lead, because even when you think they're not, they're following. And then I fast forward to a time, and I've got several scenarios I could give you here if you had time. But I fast forward to a time when I was sitting at the side of the bed of a 19-year-old young man who was um, being kept alive by a ventilator. And I remember as I sat there by his side with his eye, you ever seen anybody in that spot when, when 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 they swell and their bodies... Their, their eye, you know, it, it, it didn't even look like him. His eyelids were so swollen from fluid that it seemed as if at any moment they were going to split, split open. I, I remember uh, his lifeless, motionless body as that machine's going, I'm putting my hand over on top of his real gingerly because, again, it felt like his hand was going to explode, and it didn't look like him. He was a real thin, well-chiseled kid, and I remember putting my hand on his hand and just praying for him and, and thinking about the situation. And he'd been drunk and had a car accident while he was driving. And I, I remember as I put my hand on his hand, I remember praying and thinking about him and, and asking myself the question, because if you met him, he's a great guy, man. He's fun loving, fun to be around. And I remember thinking to myself, how did he get in this bed, paralyzed on this ventilator, clinging to life? And it dawned on me as I was there uh, with him, the conversations over the years that I had had with his dad about how they loved drinking and having drinking parties. And boy, they'd have friends over and they'd get drunk and, and they didn't let their kids drink, but boy, they drank around them and they just always were bragging about how the fun life, you know, and it's funny because like you can't brag about that around me because I look at you like a fool. Why? Because I've been there and done that. Got a t-shirt that I wish I didn't have. And I remember just, just thinking about the fact that that young man had followed his daddy into the ICU on a ventilator, clinging to life. So, sir, I want to just challenge you today as we walk through this message to pay close attention because chances are, like me, you've made some terrible mistakes already. We can just get that out of the way right now. But the chances are also very great that if you will let the Word of God do a work in your heart today, God can redeem the years that the locusts have eaten. 
As a matter of fact, there's some young men in the room, and your idea of leading has been shaped by your baseball and football coaches and weight rooms, and I'm going to tell you something about a guy that used to live there. All that stuff's going to play out sooner than you think. And what you'll need is the kind of skills that it'll take to lead a family, and I hope to help you with that today. Young ladies in the room, your life is unfolding quickly, and you got your eye on a couple of those guys because they're handsome. Boy, I'm telling you, they look good, and they, they're good at what they do. And what I need to tell you is the single greatest decision you'll make in your life besides surrendering your life to King Jesus is who you'll attach yourself to for the rest of your days. Would anybody testify in the room that the greatest decision you'll make as far as choosing in this life next to salvation would be the person you attach yourself to for the rest of your days? Somebody amen. So now we have the prelude out of the way, the introduction out of the way. Now that we've sort of addressed a few of the issues that we'll cover, let's now dive into the Word of God, Genesis chapter 3. I want to invite you to stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word, all right? Because it's not Facebook, it's not a storybook, it's not a history book or science book. It is the living, breathing Word of the Almighty God. And so we stand to our feet in honor. If you can't physically stand, stand in your heart. And we're going to begin reading here in verse 1. We're going to read all the way down. Are you ready? Y'all said, we must read 30 verses because the other group did barely let us in. Uh, through verse 19. Okay? Everybody all right? Amen. Let's go. Beginning in verse number 1. What's happened? If God's created, and here we're seeing the temptation and fall of man. If you want to get fancy, it's called the doctrine of original sin. Here we go. Verse 1. Now, the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, the, the serpent did, said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said back to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the, gar of the trees of the garden, but of this one particular fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God told us that you shall not eat it, nor shall you even touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, uh, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit. Boy, you want to talk about some words having some heavy consequences. She took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave to her husband who was not in the pecan orchard, but was with her and he Eight. Now, we've covered this recently, but you stay with me because I'm going to point out some new things today. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they were sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, they'd heard that sound many times before. They knew his voice. They knew what it sounded like. They spent time with him. If you read a little earlier, they, they enjoyed his presence in the cool of the day. But now that this thing has happened, the same voice that they used to couldn't wait to be with is now causing terror and fear. So they hide themselves from the presence of the Lord into verse number eight and got among the trees of the garden. Now the Lord God called to Adam and he said to him, where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I, I listen, something's changed. I, I wasn't excited. I wasn't uh, just beside myself. I wasn't, I wasn't emotional because God was going to meet with me, but instead I was afraid because I realized my condition. I'm naked and I hid myself. And God said back, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, what was the serpent? And deceived me and then I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than any beast of the field. Of, and listen to what he says, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust. I'm so thankful that he doesn't, snakes don't have arms and legs anymore. All the days of your life. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. Notice that her seed has a he attached to it, a capital he, meaning Jesus shall bruise your head. He's talking to the serpent. How did Jesus bruise the head? An injury to the head is fatal. Uh, Jesus injured the head or struck the blow to the head by dying on the cross for the sins of all mankind. And you shall bruise his heel. How did the serpent bruise Jesus' heel? He had him nailed to he was nailed to a cross. And to the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. I'm listening for a little amen. <laughs> your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Behold, or rather, because you heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat it of it, and all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for dust you are, and to the dust you... By the way, do you know that you're uh, headed back to the dirt? Yeah, now not your soul. And by the way, you're not a body that houses a soul, you're a spirit, your soul that houses a body for a little while. How about that? So let's bow for just a moment in prayer. Will you bow your head with me? God, I thank you for every single solitary one of these souls gathered in this room today. God, I bless you for drawing them out here in the middle of nowhere. And I thank you that they've been patient to get in here. I thank you that they're going to come back again tonight, next week, and not worry about, like, having to find a seat. Thank you for those who so graciously seat. And thank you that you're working on a plan to help us expand a little space. And, Father, we bless you and ask you to meet all our needs. Now, today I pray in this hour you'd help me to preach because I cannot preach on my own. And I ask you today that by the power of your spirit and the gift that you've given me, that, God, you would make perfectly clear today that you can use anybody, anywhere, anytime. I'm less than the ordinary guy. And yet today you'll put on display you can do anything. So as you preach through me, may I be your mouthpiece. May it be with absolute clarity, like arrows shot from your bow, not to lethally kill us, but instead to draw us to a better place. And Father, as you help me to do that, would you also preach to me? Because I need it as much as anybody in this room or outside of it. God, I pray every heart, every home, every person would sit on the fringe of our seat. And God, you'd help our ears and our attention. And it'd be like our daddy had his hand on both sides of our face and our cheeks, pulling us close and looking us directly in the eyes and speaking life to us. So do it now, God. Do it now. We're listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, you ready to rewind and get started back at the beginning? Yes, here we go. All right, remember the title, Clarity to All of the Confusion, all right? Now, as we dive in, there are about, I don't know, five, six things that I want to highlight, but there are going to be some things that I draw out that some of the men heard at the men's conference yesterday. I had another message prepared for today, but the Lord just kept stirring, kept stirring, kept stirring. I kept praying, God, I need you to show me for sure. He kept taking my attention back to this, but I kept wanting to go with what I wanted to go with, and he kept bringing my attention back. Finally, it was so interesting. I told no one that. A man came to me. I won't call his name, but he came to me, and he had tears in his eyes, and here's what he said. He kept saying the word tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And I said, what do you mean, brother? He said, you've got to preach that tomorrow. And I said, man, you feel like the Holy Spirit led? Yeah. And I said, God, thank you for answering that for a simple-minded person like me because I need that. You know, I need God to help me. So here we go. Diving into a familiar passage, a passage I've taught not too long ago, but in a different, much different way. Number one in your notes, verses one through eight. If you're our guest, we do what we call expository preaching, meaning this. We don't take a verse and tell 12 stories. We don't take a verse and tell you a bunch of uh, psychology. We instead take the verses and say to you and me what they already said, okay? So what do we find in verses one through eight? Write this down. We find this, this illustration, this example from the text. We must follow God's design. Would you write that down? We must follow God's 
design. By the way, I'm thankful for a congregation that comes and comes to a place. I'm thankful for a place we can get out of the rain. I'm thankful for the Word of God. I'm thankful for the opportunity to learn what is clarity and what God says so that I won't be confused. I'm thankful that you brought your children today. And by the way, let me talk to the young people in the room. Kids, look up at me for just a second, all right? Let me find you where you are because you're a little shorter. I have to find you sprinkled in there, all right? There you are. Some of them stay. I see y'all right there. There's a big group of y'all in the middle. What I need you young people to do is help me two things. Number one, mom and dad are very, are very talented at sleeping sitting up. And so, well, you, y- y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. And so, Dax, y'all got to help me, okay? I see you'll, you'll help me. All right, just ch- look, don't make it obvious. Don't stare at them the whole time, but every once in a while, just give them a little side check. Make sure their eyes are open, they're paying attention, okay? Second thing is this. Some of the most gifted artists in the world, I believe, live in this room, little bitty jokers. And they take what I say, what I'm teaching them from the Word of God, and they draw some of the most amazing pictures. So please, if you do that, come find me. I know sometimes there'll be a big crowd. You may not can, can, can get over there. Send me a picture of it. It blesses my heart to see how they, I saw where uh, one of the children today uh, for the first time took notes about seven years old, and it was awesome to see. They did better than me, you know? And so uh, help me with that. Draw a picture based on what you've heard. Adam, Eve, a garden, a tree, a bunch of trees, and what happens in the home based on that, okay? Now, here we go. Number one, we must follow God's design. Now, they're going to be number, number one and number two because it's going to deal with the husband and the wife. Now, you might be saying, I'm not married, but you might be someday. You might say, well, I, I, um, I'm, I'm a young person. Well, you still might be married someday. You need to know these things. Uh, I'm saying to the young men, I'm about to teach you what the real leader looks like, and I'm about to teach the lady what the real wife looks like, okay? Not what the culture says, not what your coach says, but what the Word of God says. So here it is. We must follow God's design. What was his design? His design was one man and one woman. Now, someone asked me one time, now, wait a minute, you said one man, one woman, but I found out later on, I was reading the book of 1 Kings, and this king had this many wives, and this king had that many wives. Listen to this, listen to this statement. Lean in. Just because the Bible records it does not mean the Bible prescribes it. Y'all with me? Just because it's recorded in the Word of God doesn't mean it's prescribed to the people of God. God's not prescribing to you to do what they did. Matter of fact, if you read all those guys that had more than one wise, you find out it didn't work out too well. So, God's design is one man and uh, we don't have to be too highly intelligent to figure that out, do we? Some of y'all looking at me like, I'm getting offended. Uh, you can be offended. You can be offended. You have that right. But it doesn't change the truth. If you don't believe it, uh, take two men, put them in a room. Everybody else in society cannot procreate. Let those two men carry the burden of procreating society. You know what happens? Society dies and ends that day. Same thing. You don't have to be. I mean, a kid's smart enough. You, you put two women together. Call it marriage if you want, whatever. So y'all go in there and y'all going to populate the world. Guess what happens with those two ladies if it depends on them? Come on. We don't have to act like that. Society ends. It's over. Why? God has a design. It has function. It doesn't take, you don't have to be real bright to know that there are two species, two genders in a species that come together and create more of that species, all right? Now, our way of thinking gets confused, and confusion causes chaos, but God's got a plumb line, and he says, one man, Adam, one woman, Eve, and what he did is so interesting is he made man and created the man first. Listen to me. God has a, a, a system and way of doing things, and everything he does has meaning, Here's my question. Do you think he could have made Adam and Eve at the same time? Have you looked at the stars and the galaxies? Have you looked at some of the new pictures of the galaxies that we didn't know existed out there that God just said, ah, and they were there? 
Yeah, I believe he could have probably done them at the same time if he wanted to, but there was a purpose. There was a leader, one first and the other. Now, uh, as we think about the leadership part of that, we're going to talk a little bit about that, all right? And so two things. Number one, we get from this verses one through eight is that God had created this man, and his name was Adam. And before Eve was ever created, God gave to Adam the instruction of his will. He gave him a garden to tend. He said he put the man, put him in the garden. And the, the word in the English is tend, but the Hebrew word is avoda. It means work and worship. Same word. Well, I love that. So he puts him in this garden. He's got a will to, he's got a garden to tend and a will to follow. What was the will? Here's the will. God gave him all of these trees and bushes, and y'all have heard me say this so many times. I hope you're able to tell your friends. That's the reason I do repetition, right? So he says, here's these bushes, here's these trees. Some have berries, some have nuts, some are salty, some are sweet, some are bitter, some are sour. There's all these textures. Some grow on top of the ground, some grow on bushes, some grow on vines, some grow as roots, as like such things as turnips or, or carrots. And I'm giving you all of these flavors for your enjoyment. By the way, you ever thought about what it would be like if you didn't have taste buds and everything tastes like water? Now, I don't like the taste of water. I don't know how people say, I love the taste of water. It doesn't have a taste. If you, get, if you get some water that's not, you know, tastes like bleach or iodine, if you get some water that's really filtered, it doesn't have any taste. I get it. I, got the, I love the refreshment. But can you imagine if God said, I'm just gonna, you're just going to fuel up, but you don't, it's never, listen to the goodness of God. Talk about the goodness of God all over your life. God said, I'm going to put sweet taste buds in your mouth. I'm going to put salty ones. I'm going to put ones in there that detect bitterness, savory, and sweet. And I'm going to mix them up on your tongue in such a way that you actually find joy from the fuel you put in. You don't think he's not a good God? So he did that for Adam. And he said, here's all these flavors and textures, and you're going to enjoy them all. And they're all for you. They're billions of different kinds. But of this one single tree, don't eat of it. Well, that was God's design. Well, we, we, we muffed that, didn't we? And so what happens is uh, God told Adam, but then this serpent rolls up onto Eve, and he begins to ask questions. Did God really say? And I want to say to you that we learn about God, uh, the Satan's tactics is that that's what he does. He's not brave enough to look in the face and say, God didn't say that. God didn't say that. He just puts things in, the, in your mind like, well, does it really mean that? Does it, does it really say that, you know? There's this big push lately, and, and it's so interesting to me to say the word homosexual is not in the Bible. It, was, it meant sodomite. What do you think that word came from? Go and do a little research before you just take your little Dr. Google and go with it. And so there is in the Word of God this, this, this idea where God says, I'm putting you in this garden. You've got a garden to tend. You've got a will to follow. This is what I want you to do. Don't do this. Do all of this. Don't do this one thing. And then he creates the woman. He looks down and he says uh, that he looks down and he said, it's not good that man should be alone. So first in your notes there, I want you to put under number one, little number one, write this down. Husbands are to lead. Husbands are to lead. I don't care what happens in your home. I don't care what your teacher told you. I don't care what grandma said. I don't care what Dr. Phil says. None of that stuff holds any weight. They're all going to die and go back to the dust. I'm hanging everything on what God said. And God said that the husband is supposed to do what? Now, gentlemen, that doesn't mean that we slam our fist down and say, we're having, I want fried chicken for supper, I want fried chicken for dinner, and I want you to sit over in the corner, and when I get ready for you to make me a sandwich, I'll call your name, you go make me a sandwich. Uh, that is not leadership. That's tyranny. That's dictatorship. And that was never God's design. So throw that out. Some of y'all were daydreaming there for a minute. Instead... Leadership means I'm going to set the example, and I'm going to encourage you to follow me. I'm going to, set the, I'm going to chart the path. I'm going to give you a standard. I'm going to give you a plumb line. I'm going to give you something to anchor to. I'm going to follow Jesus in such a way that you can stay close to me and you'll be following him too. 
And so there's this, this idea of uh, God says the, for the man to be the leader. Let me give you a verse here, okay? Now, let me say this to you. Men and women, are they equal? I love that. Somebody spoke with authority. You are exactly right. Yes, they are. Absolutely. rest of y'all are like, oh, is this a trick question? See, confusion causes chaos. You don't know. Yes, they're equal. Men and women in the eyes of God, who's more valuable? Neither. They're absolutely equal, and here's the word for you, in essence, meaning they're being, they're humans, male and female, they're, they're and by the way, you're more valuable to him than, than dogs, and you're more valuable to him than birds, and you're more valuable to him than trees. Uh, we're the only creature made in his image. So we are not equal with the animals and dogs and trees and all that nonsense. We are, e- we are equal, though, as male and female. Now, are they equal in function? The answer is no. You can't have two leaders. That's why some of our homes are struggling in the way in which they are. You can't have two leaders, and you can't have the helper being the leader. And that is why some of our children are struggling the way they're struggling. It's why our homes are struggling the way they're struggling. It's the reason our culture is struggling the way it's struggling. So uh, the male, the husband is supposed to be the leader, not the dictator, but the leader, one who sets the path, one who says, follow me, one who says, I'm going I'm to show you guys how to do this. I'm going to encourage you and give you everything you need to do it. So let me just show you something that's going to interest you because some of you are like, I don't know if I really like the idea of what you're saying. It's not an idea. It's the design of God. And so let me just give you a verse to go along with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 3. This is about to blow some of your minds. 1 Corinthians eleven three. 3. All right, kids, check mom and dad. They don't need to miss this. They awake? All right, good. I see heads turning around. Everybody's good? Okay, so here's the thing. 1 Corinthians eleven three. we're going to find out. And my question for you first is this. Is Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, are they equal? All right, all right let's read. 1 Corinthians eleven three. Is it on the overhead? Yes, read with me. But I want you to know Paul's letter to Corinth, he's encouraging them about the role and order of things. And he says, I want you to know that the head of every man, he's talking about born-again men, of course, the head of every man is, so every born-again man has one particular leader. His name is Jesus Christ, okay? The head of woman is, you hear all that tapered off? Huh? All right, I'm learning something. Okay, so the head of every man is? Christ, and the head of every woman is, and the head of Christ is, now wait a second, you just told me they were equal, didn't you? I mean, so again, show of hands, are they equal? But now wait a second, he says that the head of the head, the one leading is, uh, Christ is who? I love that, three people, God, I think it was God. Others are like, I'm not saying anything. I'm so confused. In essence, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all different, all separate, all equal, all God. All 100% God. But in function, who is over who, Father or Son? Father's over Son. For function, God has placed a Father in my life to direct me as a Son. I'm supposed to fall under His leadership follow his direction so that I can fulfill my functions. Does that make sense to you? So then, God chose an eternity past before he created anything that is created, and he chose to reveal himself as Father, but the Son as the Son. The Scripture says it this way, Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
So, Father has to have a will, and the Son, though they are equal in essence, they're both God. One said, I've got to, somebody's got to go. They both couldn't go. And the Son found himself obedient to the will of the Father. It's what you hear him praying in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. Some of y'all just light bulbs coming off everywhere like, wow, I never realized that. Yes. So, who is uh, more valuable, the Father or the Son, the Holy Spirit? Yes. Who's more valuable? Husband or wife, male or female? Yes. So we see the picture of the Trinity in the family, father, son, child. Oh. Husband, wife, child. So as it unfolds, the husband's supposed to be the leader, all right? So notice that, how do you say, how do you know that, preacher? Well, first of all, 1 Corinthians eleven three 3 tells me that. But also in the scene in, in, in Genesis 3, 1 through 8, when God came looking for them, he called one name. He said, Adam, where are you? So, sir, let me just say in your leadership, something you may not know is that you can try with all of your might to dodge accountability, but you will never duck responsibility. Now, let me say this to you, because you need to get this. Wherever the family goes, you're responsible. It may not be your fault directly. Is anybody out there? It may not be your fault. It may not be directly tied to something that you've done, but you are still responsible. You ever seen a team of people get in trouble and one person did the stupid thing, but then everybody runs together because they're taking responsibility as a group? The husband, the the male is responsible for the leadership. So today I want you to just think about the question that God asked Adam, sir, here's my question to you. Where are you? Where are you? Are you hiding out amongst the trees? Are you reserved to a couch with a headset and a Nintendo, I mean a video game? Are you actively leading in the home? Someone says, what's leadership look like? Leadership looks like setting the tone for chasing after Jesus and accomplishing the tasks of the home. So as we walk through this thing, husbands are to, y'all help me? Like, boy, we're getting weaker. We got to get stronger. Here we go. Ready? Husbands are to lead. Second, wives are to help. We're about to have some fun. Y'all ready? Husbands are, I mean, excuse me, wives are to help. Now, <clears throat> Uh, how many of y'all ladies love to think about yourself as a helper? I love that. Y'all are more honest in the eighth third. Eighth third group was like, I said, take your Sunday school mask off and let me run that by you again. All right, let's just say that in life, you get a choice. You're going to be the electrician or the electrician's helper. Who gets paid more? Who gets more respect? Uh, who's the one that's calling the shots on the site? So really the role of helper is not really the one you want to not that it's not a good thing, not that God doesn't, but you understand the picture I'm painting here. Our culture has shaped the female's thinking that helper is somehow less than. Now, my question for you, ma'am, is as you struggle with the term helper, whose opinion of helper is it that offends you? The world's or God's? Let's, let's, let's work it out. You ready? We're about to flesh this thing out. So, if we're honest... If you're honest, I'm not a female. If you're honest, you'd say that maybe helper is not necessarily the greatest assigned title that you would want to be called in this life, a helper, right? So let's talk for a minute about who the Bible says is defined as a helper. There are four. You ready? Everybody ready? Young people, check mom's eyes, grandma's eyes, make sure she's up and awake. She needs to hear this, all right? She, listen, helper. The male is the leader. The female is the help, right? She's the help. Now, 
Here's the category of helpers in the Word of God, because we don't really want to be in that groove, and that seems like less than, and who's in that group, right? Young ladies are growing up thinking, well, I don't, I mean, I went to Hickory Ridge, and the preacher said, I'm going to be a help. I mean, what in the, and so here it is, number one, here's the first person, there's four in the category. Number one is God the Father. Here's what the Scripture says. God is our ever-present help in time of need. You know who's somebody who helps? What are they called? Helper. Well, y'all are using your logic today. So God the Father, we have four. God the Father is called a helper. Number two, God the Son. There are several places, but one particular place, Jesus says in John 14, I'm going to send you another helper. You know why I said another helper? He was helping them. So number two in the group of four, you have God the Father, you have God the... All right, who's our third helper? (laughs) Look at y'all, y'all going to be teaching this thing. And the third helper is, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper. He's going to guide you into truth. He's going to show you the way. He's going to help you understand the heart and mind of God. He's going to point to Jesus. He's going to help you understand the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit's going to be one of the greatest gifts you ever get. And so he said, I'm going to give you the helper of the Holy Spirit. My goodness, look at the company. You ready? There's only four. There's only four. Four mentioned as helpers. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the, the wife, the female. She's a help. He looked down, God did, and he said, of all the things that were created, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, he said, this is good, and that's good, and this is good, and that's good, and then he said something wasn't good. Yeah, the only thing he said wasn't good. What is it? We can't let that guy be by himself. He's going to hurt himself or hurt somebody. You know, he needs some help. So God says, I'm going to make a woman. And he did that. God made a woman. And so listen to me, lady. I want you to understand something. The culture will tell you if you're defined as help, you're going to an old chaotic church. You need to find a hip church that teaches you something different. And you need to just go be the best one. And feminism says you ought to just go and do and be, and y'all are equal and the same, and you are equal in value, but you are not the same. God has a design, and it's, 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 it's clarity. It's so clear. But culture is shaped how you think it. When you hear help, you think that's less than. And my question is, who are you trying to impress? Shouldn't it be God? And if, in fact, it's God and God says you're help and I provided you to be help for the family and help for your husband, shouldn't you then take that role and say, I'm not listening to what the world says. I'm not listening to what the magazine articles or what Facebook says. But God's assigned to me the wonderful honor of being with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as a help to my family. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. You want to talk about things getting clear? You start embracing and loving the role of what God said instead of what culture says. And you'd be a help. When I think about Tina, oftentimes I, I think first first thing that strikes me is how beautiful she is on the outside. And I can't help that. You know, men are visual. But second thing that strikes me is how much help she's been to me all of my days. Uh, there are oftentimes that we go places, and you know, there are a lot of us, by the way. I don't know if y'all know there are a lot of us. Uh, if we all decide to come on the same Sunday, we got way more problems, and we, we they ain't gonna pull a few chairs out. And not only that, we have a lot of people that follow us, uh, worship with us online from different places. And because of that, we go places sometimes, and I tell her, I can see across the room, somebody be looking at me, I said, they're about to come over and say something. <laughs> and they'll come over and say, hey, I follow you on Facebook. And, 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 and oftentimes, she'll be sitting there, and, and you don't have to look at us very long to figure out which one of us is beautiful and which one ain't. And they'll be talking to me and telling me all the messages, and they'll say things, and they'll this and that, and, and, and it's like she's invisible sometimes. And what I do quickly, and if you've been there, if you've ever done that, not, not, and that's not intentional, I'm not knocking on anybody, but if you've ever been in that spot, well, the first thing you find me do is what? Let me introduce you to my wife. She's the better half of the deal. And that's not lip service. That's not filling in some, you know, conversation gap. I, I think about her, how much she has helped me over my lifetime. 
I, I, I was in, you guys, I was in Africa. I didn't pack my bag. I didn't know it was in there. I just, look, I'm serious. I'm ser- I just heard from God, you're going to Africa. I'm like, all right. Somebody's like, what part of Africa? I don't know. What, what all you know when you get there? I don't know. I just know God told me to go. I'm going, you know? And I'm telling you, that thing had, I had bags. And you can ask Brian, I'd be flipping that thing over and unzipping pap. Like, look at this, man. She thought of this. I said, man, I need this. And I didn't even know I needed it. She's got it in here. And we'd unzip, I'd unzip things. And, and man, was, she has been such a help to me. And what I need to say to her in front of all of y'all is that everything God's accomplished in my life, everywhere in the world, it's been because she's helped me. And there's nothing more valuable to me in this life uh, than her. Uh, she's a help. Trying, I'm not fighting back a few tears right here. I don't know what that just snuck up on me, Drew. Uh, but I, I want you to know that I believe this with all my heart. When she goes home, and by the way, this ain't our home. When she goes home, I believe she's going to hear from God, well done, my good and faithful servant, because she's helped me and she's helped our kids and she's helped us on. And she's helped you. You don't even know, Some of you don't even know how much she's helped you because she's helped me and helped. Everything God's accomplished in my little small life has been because she has been a help to me. Amen. Not a hindrance, a help to me. Ma'am, I want to ask you a question. As I looked at the men a minute ago and asked him, are you leading? My question for you is, are you a help? Would you be classified as a help to your husband? Or have you been so focused on your career and what culture tells you and what society says? And have you missed out? There's some young ladies in the room and, 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 and your whole focus is on about becoming a great woman, a great career, a great athlete, and you don't even know that your design role of God, your number one calling is to be a help. And I'm telling you, life is not, I'm telling you, life is not as effective as if he's not leading, she's not helping. And I got to thinking about, you know, I was sitting over there a little while ago and I was thinking about my daughters and I said, you know what, it's so cool to watch them follow her lead in helping. And then Grace asked me, Dad, you got this, you got that, you got this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, no, I forgot that. Let me go grab that. And so they've watched her help and now they're help, they're help. Encouragement and prayer and and so we ought, we ought to be, men, we ought to be leading. Ma'am, we ought to be help. Uh, let me just say <clears throat> real quickly, all right, so I've got to move on here. Y'all see why the other one ran a little long? This is good, boy. We're digging in, aren't we? Huh? Y'all okay? Everybody all right? Okay, good, because we're still in number one, you realize, and we're, we're going to get there, but you just hang with me, all right? So I need you to get this, all right? So now, um, I need you to write this statement out, and then we're going to flesh it out a couple different ways. He leads by the Word of God. Write that. He leads by the Word of God. Because there are men in here, and you're like, I don't know how to lead, and, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, how you can learn how to do that and where they're helped to do that. Um, but, but he leads by the Word of God. So uh, I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 26, and this is where Paul is teaching about the, the relationship of husband and wife, and he says that uh, wives, respect your husbands, right, and, 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 and follow him, and, and husbands, love your wives, uh, not like a chocolate bar, but love her like Christ loved the church. And as he fleshes that out, he gives a comparison of Jesus and his bride. By the way, do you know who Jesus' bride is? The church. Who is the church? Everybody who's been born again. Every person who's put their hope and trust in Jesus confessed him as Lord. So he compares Jesus and the, his bride, the church, to the man and his bride, okay? And this is what he says in Ephesians 5. I'll blow your mind. He says uh, that he might sanctify. Sanctify means to set you apart, Okay? And so, as, the, as me being one small part of the church, not Hickory Ridge, but the church, born-again believers, he is sanctified. He's setting me apart a little more. The closer I walk with him, the more I stay. He's setting me apart a little more. I'm sanctified a little more every day. Does that make sense? And so, that Jesus does that for me, the church, me and you, the church, whoever's out there born again. But he's comparing that also to the husband, to the wife. And he says that the husband is also, like Jesus, sanctifies, making her more like Jesus, and cleanses her with the washing of water. And so we, 
We think about that, and I'm gonna, we're just about to get real ugly honest for a minute, so everybody keep your hands down by your sides, okay? No elbowing, no pinching. And don't listen to me, all right? Kids, check them. If they doze off here, they'll raise their hand, and I can't fix it. <clears throat> I'm about to ask you a question I want you to answer on the inside. Now, I'm not going to ask it. I'm going to say that I've asked it at the men's conference. Here's the question I asked at the men's conference. And I ask guys this from time to time. Hey, is there something about your wife you wish was different? Be careful. Look this way. Look this way. You fool right around and get yourself in a mess I can't fix. Okay, now, most every guy would say to you, yes. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about how tan, she, everything sags and fades. Don't give me that nonsense. Huh? I'm not talking about that superficial stuff. I'm talking about who she is. Okay? Yes? No, I'm just being honest with you, straightforward with you. And most guys would say, yes, I wish, you know, maybe she would pray, or I wish she would wish this, I wish that, I wish this. Now, I'm going to flip the coin. I've not ever done this, but I believe with all my heart if I asked wives in a group, if there's something about your husband that you wish was different, I'm certain, I'm certain, because we're all broken, that every wife would say, yes, there's, there's, there's this and this and this that I wish was different about my husband. But I want to deal with the men for just a minute because you hear guys griping, you hear them complaining, or you hear them disengaging, okay? And so here's what the Word of God says. So that he might sanctify them in Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify them, make her more, help her become more like Jesus and cleanse her by the washing of water. That's not a pitcher of water. Don't you go dump a pitcher of water on your wife today. You'll get yourself in a mess. What is the washing of water that he's talking about? Some of the wives are going, that's right. You better not get no ideas. With the washing of water, what is the washing of water and the cleansing and the sanctifying power of the husband? It is the Word of God. So then let's, let's, let's rationalize with each other for a moment. Sir, everything that you wish was different about your wife in the area of becoming more like Jesus, the answer for that is not you talking about her, you disengaging from her. You, the answer for that is that you're teaching her the Word of God. So how are you doing on that? It's deafeningly silent here. Did y'all get that? So based on the Word of God and the husband's role to sanctify by teaching, talking about the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, discussing the Word of God, praying the Word of God with his wife, with his children, uh, then what I can ascertain from this is that some of us men, because we're not doing that, have never done that, we, in fact, are the greatest contributor to her current condition. Whoa, that'll knock the wind right out of your sail, won't it? But now I could flip that for just a moment. So, sir, I'm going to say, you need to, listen, you can't wait, wait till tomorrow. You've got to start today. You can't wait till down the road. You, you, you can't keep setting her up to be a sitting duck for the enemy. You can't keep pr pr producing children who are going to end up in ICU or somewhere in, uh, down the road, and they know how to throw a curveball, and they know how to win these little $5 rings, but they don't know how to do marriage, and they don't know how to face the issues of life. And those little $5 rings are going to go in a box somewhere. They're finally going to be given away to someone sold in a, a garage sale somewhere down the road. And you can no longer be willing, after hearing this great truth, to just settle for being an average guy. If you do, they'll pay for it. They'll pay for it if you don't lead them. Now then, let me swap for just a moment. Can I do that? Guys are like, please, please give us a break. Remember, this isn't my word, and I'm receiving it. It's for me as much as it is for anybody in this room. So if you're going to get mad with somebody, you're going to have to get mad with God. It's not my word. It's his word. And I'm telling you, he's dealing with me just like he's dealing with you. 
So then you talk about the ladies. And what ladies like to do is they, if I ask the question, yeah, there's a lot about him I wish was changed. And what ladies have a tendency to do, just like guys have a tendency to do, is to gossip about it, talk about him, mistreat him, and neglect him, ignore him, what have you, to try to get him to change. And have, by the way, how's that working out for you? And you know, the Word of God says it's better to live on the corner of a roof, one little corner of the roof, than to live with a nagging wife. And so far, your attempts to change him and make him be a better leader by nagging him and telling him all the things that he's failing at has worked how well? I'll tell you, I already know. Zero. Matter of fact, you've driven a wedge. Because the more you point out, the more you... See, guys, our greatest needs to be respected. We feel like we're failing, we don't do well. And if all we ever hear from you is that we're failing, you just drove them in wedge. And so your greatest tool, his greatest tool is to be teaching the Word. So some of you guys have just got to start picking a book of the Bible, getting you a, a commentary, a, a study Bible, reading a little bit, and just teaching a few verses right there, reading together as a family, and just saying, here's what I learned this means. And it doesn't have to be a long exegesis. It doesn't have to be like a, uh, an hour, a small group. But you've got to begin to teach. I'm telling you, if you don't, they're suffering for it. And ma'am, at the same time, your greatest weapon is not teaching the Word because that's his role. The greatest weapon for you is words of encouragement and kindness and prayer. Oh, you say, but I don't, ain't nothing about him I want to encourage. So you'll have to ask God to help you. Because, listen to me, God sees something in him. God sees something in him that you may not see. He sees the potential of a man of God who would be encouraged and helped by his wife and taking the position of leadership and leading his home and not the cultural way. Culture says if you make a good living, keep the lights on, and, you know, teach your kids to work hard and play baseball, pff, a thousand years from now, nobody will remember any of that. But instead, it's responsibility to teach them the Word of God and pray with them and teach them how to pray. Oh, see, what happens is we're raising up children, and, and they're confused as to how to be a man of God or how to be a woman of God, and they can sell out there in life and try to do it, and confusion causes chaos, and everybody gets hurt. Instead, why not let's ask God to change us today so we lead by the Word of God. I've got to move on. We're only on number one. We've got to get to number two. Y'all ready? Number two. We will give an account. I'm going to hit this quick, all right? I'm going to hit this quickly. We will give an account. Genesis 3, 9 is when he says, where are you? There will be a day that you and I will give an account. What will we give an account for, all right? And I'm going to lump the children in for just a minute as well. So here's what I want you to understand in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Here's what it says. You ready? For we, it's on the overhead. For we, everybody with me? For we must, it's not on the overhead. All right. Hallelujah. I was just checking to see if y'all paying attention. All right. Here's what it says. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'm judged innocent because of the blood of Christ applied to my life and the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. So what do you mean all of us are going to appear before this, this judgment? Is it up there yet? I'm waiting on waiting y'all's faces, and I don't think it's up there yet. All right, I'm going to keep reading y'all's faces. Y'all just give me some kind of look when it's up there. It's not going to work. Ephesians 5. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I tell you? 2 Corinthians 5.10. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 5.10. So, there it is. Look at there. For we must. This is the word I wanted us all to see. And, and by the way, they do an awesome job back there with a preacher who runs 1,000 miles an hour. And I thank God for them. I really do. Um, but read with me. Okay, for we must all. That's what I wanted you to see. All of us. Even saved folk? Yeah. We'll appear before the judgment seat. And the word for here is bema seat. This is a judgment not for punishment, but, but a judgment seat for reward or lack thereof. And we'll give an account for where I led my family. That's where the man will answer, for where I led my family. Wherever they go, we have responsibility for. But you know what the wife will answer for? 
based on today's message. Come on, you know it now. Whether she was a help or not. Whether she was a help. And we'll give an account for that. What were the kids, oh, by the way, for the young people in the room that maybe are going to go home before they get married. Maybe, maybe they're going to pass away before they get married, before they grow up. It happens. It happens. It's not the end. Listen, it's painful to mom and daddy. It just about kills us, right? But for the child of God who knows Jesus, man, can you imagine dying before you're 20? You never had to face fights and arguments and skin up knees and all the stuff that comes in this life. And then 1,000 years from now, we don't remember how you left at 20 years old anyway, right? So the question I have for you is, as we think about what will young people answer for, how you obeyed your mom and dad. That's your role in the home. Can you imagine that? Not for how well you threw the ball, not for how many times you were at practice, not for your grades, but how well you followed the leadership of your dad and your mom and how you allowed her and him to help and to lead you. Okay, here we go. We must give an account. It's found in verse 9. Let me just say this. We may not be our fault, but we will be responsible, okay? Now, number three, I think we're moving along pretty good, all right? Verse number 12. Everybody okay? A little more, little more till we get there, but I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it, all right? So if you need to stand up, stand up, sit back down. Here we go, all right? Verse number 12, we must avoid blame. Write that and let's talk about it. You ever blamed anybody? You ever, yeah, how about this? Uh, with me and my sisters growing up, my little sister was too young at first to get in much trouble with us. And we learned enough by the time she was old enough to get in trouble that we had moved past that because uh, we knew mom and dad were going to get us. Me and my three sisters, my two older sisters, we would get in trouble a good bit when we were younger. And what would happen is if mom and dad walked in on us and we were doing the thing we weren't supposed to be doing, there was no who did it. Everybody got a whipping. So we didn't get a whole lot of blaming going on when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Just everybody in the group got, got lumped in together and everybody got a whipping and then we just sort of settled it out after that. But I can think of times when I've asked, all right, who did, who did this, whatever. How, you, you say, well, so-and-so did it, you know, whatever. And I remember times when, when you'd ask the child, child, they'd be the only one in the room. And you say, what happened? Who did this? Huh? Come on, y'all know what they said. I don't know, not me. Well, now that's hard for me to believe because you're the only living soul in the room. And... Uh, the thing happened since I was in here to when I went in the other room. Nobody else has been in the room. Logic says, you did it. Uh-uh. Not me. And at our core, we are just like Adam. We're looking for somebody, and Eve, we're looking for somebody else to pin the blame on. So if I ask you, sir, where are you at? Like God asked Adam, where are you? Would you be able to say I'm leading my family by teaching the word of God and praying with them and having them in the gathering of believers every time the door is open that we can grow together and we're serving the Lord? And you're able to say that or not? If I was to ask you, man, are you helping him, supporting him, encouraging him, giving and, and if, sir, you, if I said, you said, no, I'm not doing that, and you might say to me, well, because my dad didn't show me how to do it. Or you might say, you might say, well, my mom, I mean, the reason I don't, I'm not a help at home is because my mom sort of ran the show at our house, and so I've just sort of taken that role. Or, or you might say, because what happened is when he went to the woman, what have you done? And she says, well, the serpent, you know. And then he goes to Adam, and, and he says, what have you done? And he says, it was the woman. And then he lumps God in the blame. Well, it was that woman. I mean, things were fine until you put the woman. And, and he said, by the way, the woman that you did it. I mean, I was doing all right, I thought, you know. And, you... and so everybody's blaming somebody. And I'm telling you what happens in my life and your life is that we think, we are foolish enough to think that enough blame gets us off the hook. If we have enough excuses, 
if we have enough, y'all with me? If we have enough commerce, if we have enough rational reasoning, then surely we're off the hook, right? Because Jesus died and it's grace and, and all that. And I, and I want you to see this, this morning that I, I'm telling you that Adam blamed Eve and he blamed God for his lack of leading. And it wasn't God's fault. And so I'm not telling you today, now I need to say this to you, you need to get this. I'm not on the platform today in this pulpit saying to you that others have not contributed to your pain. I, I'm not, listen, I'm not up here today saying that your childhood or the things that you went through or the abuse that happened back there or the lack of daddy at home or that you went through, the alcoholism, the things that you went through, I'm not saying to you that that wasn't painful and it didn't contribute to, to, to the, how you feel and how you view things. Listen, I get it. I, the earliest memory I have of separating my mom and dad in a physical fight was six years old. Alcohol and prescription medication. I remember the age of nine testifying against my mom to have her committed. As she's looking at me and saying, how can you say you love me if you're letting them take me away? I was nine. I understand. We might say, well, the reason I don't lead my home or I don't, you know, is because of this painful childhood happened. And as long as you keep hanging your hat on that hook, you will continue not to lead and your wife and your children will suffer the consequences. You might say that the reason I don't lead is because, well, uh, not just was it the pain that, 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 that produced where you are, and I'm not up here on the platform today telling you that, that someone else didn't contribute to your lack of preparation. I'm not saying that your dad didn't set you up to fail because he didn't teach you the books of the Bible, and he didn't teach you how to pray, and he didn't teach you how to study the Word of God, and he didn't teach the Word, and he taught you how to work, and he taught you he's a good man, but he didn't teach you anything that was eternal. I'm not saying that didn't contribute to a place of lack of preparation. I'm not. I'm not saying that because your mom ran the show and everything, that that, that, that didn't prepare you to try to take the lead and run the show at home. I'm not discounting all of that. All of that's true. It's real. But what I am saying is, I'm not saying that somebody didn't hurt you. I'm not saying that somebody didn't leave you unprepared. But what I am saying is that someone left the throne of heaven and took on the form of a man and showed us how to live this thing perfectly and then went on the cross and took the place of death that we deserved, placed in a borrowed tomb on the third day, rose from the dead, and by that death and resurrection has provided the resources that you and I need to lead and to help. Yeah, there'll be some hand claps should have erupted around this place today. I'm telling you right now. Here's the three things I want to talk to you about. Write them in your notes. Look at me real quick. I know you got your pen ready. You're getting ready to write. Here's what I want to tell you this. You ready? Life's unfair. How many of you here believe life's unfair? Life's unfair. Have you said that this week, last week? How many of you said that in the last year? Life is unfair. And I want to tell you today, you came to the place where the preacher's going to agree with you, but not in the way in which you think. I'm saying to you that life's unfair because it's so heavily tipped in our favor, it's just ridiculous. God's given us this assigned role of leadership and this assigned role of helping and this assigned role of children obeying their parents. And it seems to be so impossible because others have hurt us in the past and left us ill-prepared to do it. But then Jesus came and bled and died and made a way for us to receive the resource of God. What is it? Number one, the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if there were nothing else on the list, that's all I need. Every excuse is removed when I say I've been given the Holy Spirit of God. Because Galatians 2.20 says, it's no longer I who live, right? I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I'm still in this body. I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me and gave himself for me. So then, I've been given the Holy Spirit. I never have an excuse not to lead. I've got all I need living inside me. Number two, I've been given the Bible. I've been given the Word of God. 
All right, here's a question, not for embarrassment's sake, but how many of you can understand English? Now, don't y'all, some of y'all ain't raising your hand. You're lying. I talked to you earlier, and you understood me fine. Huh? I'm going to ask you again. How many, some of y'all are like, yeah, but what kind of English are you talking about? All right? How many of you can say honestly that you understand English? Raise your hand. It has to be all of us. And God, in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty, has provided for me and you a copy of the Bible. How about that? In English. And you may not realize it, but as you're looking down at your Bible, look at your Bible for just a minute. Just put your eyes on it for just a second. You may not realize it today, but there were men uh, who were burned alive at the stake by the Roman Catholic Church because of the translation you're holding in your hand. You know what they did to them? They tied them to a wooden pole. Because they wanted it only in Latin where the common person couldn't read it, and they had to have a pope or a priest or a bishop, somebody tell them what it said, and they couldn't read it on their own. So then it was translated, and as it was translated, men like Wycliffe and Tyndale, they were burned alive. They put piles of sticks, and they set them up on the sticks, tie their hands behind their back, tie them on, and light the sticks. And so you can imagine how long it took to, like, crispy their toes and singe the hair off their legs, and the, the fire's just getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, one of them, the story of them says that they were clapping their hands and singing hymns. I believe it was Tyndale who they said he wouldn't die. He, wouldn't, he, he kept burning. He was singing. He wouldn't die. And so they, sta- they stabbed him. When they stabbed him, his blood put the fire out. He kept on singing. You know, when you find a little history of your Bible that you may just toss around, leave it here in the sanctuary, and all the little undisrespectful things we do to the Word of God that's been delivered to us in English, I hope you see the faces of those men as they burned alive so that you'd have a copy in the common language that you speak. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Don't tell me you can't understand it. It's written in English. And you've been given the Spirit of God. So you have the Spirit of God, and you have the Word of God. Listen to me. We sang about it a minute ago, right? There's honey in the rock. When I found out he's got everything I need, huh, there's honey in the rock. What is the Holy Spirit of God? And he's given me the Word of God. And then thirdly, thirdly, and I believe this is the most neglected. You ready? The church of God. The church of God. You say, how is the church a resource? Well, here's my question I would turn back to you. What are you learning today about clarity? Uh-huh. You came here. Where are you at? place we call church. What are you, would you say that you came here today and learned something you couldn't learn at Walmart? I'd hope so. Uh, how would you say that you came here today and learned something that you couldn't learn at your job? Uh, yeah, I would hope so. Uh, would you say that you came here today and you learned something you couldn't learn in, in, in school? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because God uniquely gifted the church with some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. He gave all these gifts for the church for the purpose of his people growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. How are you going to know how to be a man unless you come find out here? Are you going to let... You're going to let culture tell you? How are you going to find out how to be a woman that honors God? How are you going to let inform that decision? And so we've been given the Spirit of God. We've been given the Word of God. I'm telling you, it's, it's so unfair. It's so unfair. There's no reason we should stumble and fall. Now we do, but we get each other back up again. That's part of the church, man. The church is here to edify. The church is here to instruct. The church is here to cheer us on. I want to tell you something. I got a text message uh, yesterday from somebody uh, late in the evening, and I was wore out and sort of just feeling a little bit down. And not, not bad down, just a little. You ever just feel a little bit down? Not bad down, just a little bit down. And I got a text message, and that text message was like an arrow hit me in the heart and lifted me up. Y'all are like, wow, you felt like you were dying. No, no. I'm talking about one of those arrows of encouragement. It hit me just at the right spot, and I sat up straight, and I was like, boy, I can't wait for Sunday now. We're here to encourage it. And that's why you need to be here. 
That's why at 6 o'clock, you ought to rearrange whatever selfish thing you got planned, and you ought to be back in your rear end, ought to be in that seat with your notebook open saying, I need to learn how to be a man of God. I have no more excuses. I have the church is here to feed me and instruct me, and I'm coming. I'm coming, baby. I'm not missing an opportunity. And so I'll be looking for you. I'll be looking for you at 6. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to be prayed up. I'm going to have a message for you that will instruct your heart and help you and encourage you and feed you. You do your part and be here. You do. Boy, some of y'all won't look at me. I know you got important things planned. I know you do. Let's just have a conversation, can we, me and you? What important thing you got lined up this afternoon? It's going to shape and inform how your family lives and the way you live for Jesus Christ this week. What you got lined up this afternoon? Because here's what happens. Every time I say that, there'll be about half of us in here between the two morning sessions. And I just want to look at you and ask you just personally, what do you got lined up so important today? How's it going to help you live for Jesus this week? Would you not feel guilty right now but say, you know what, wow, that makes sense what he's saying. I'm going to change my schedule. Just, hey, try it. Just try it. I'm going to just try it and see what happens. And watch what God will do. All right, I've got to move on, y'all. I really do. All right, y'all ready? Here we go. Moving on a little further. We're moving on from we must avoid blame, and I'm going to finish right here. I'm going to finish right here. The consequences of not being God's man or God's woman. That applies to the young man, the young woman, the married man, the single man, the single woman, the single married woman, all the above, all right? Consequences, all right? Now, actually, I've got one more thing. The consequences of being God's man are, are great, and God's women are great. What happens in 14 through 19? A whole bunch of consequences. Y'all remember? Painful childbirth, desire to control her husband. The husband's going to have weeds growing everywhere. He's trying to work, and it's going to be hard. He's going to be sweating. You know, it's, it's, it's just a lot of bad stuff. So the consequences of not being God's man or God's woman are great. Listen, sir, I want to tell you this. Your wife and your kids are struggling because you're not leading, and I need to tell you that because I love you. They're struggling, man. They don't know which direction to go. They don't know how to think. The, the, the culture is trying to tell them think this way. And God's given you the role to help them shape their thinking by the word of God and prayer. And so I just need to look in the face and say, sir, there are great consequences to you not leading. They're sitting ducks of the enemy. And I beg you, don't let them. You're the first line of defense. Don't do it. And ma'am, could it be your husband struggling because you're not helping? And so there's great consequences. Some of us are struggling because we've, I'm telling you, we're not living that role out. And then finally, number five. And this is in, and I want you to write in your notes. We're not going to turn there for the sake of time because you guys look tired. Daniel 1, 6 and 7. All right? Now, here's a survey of the room. Everybody awake? Check your neighbor. Y'all looking at me. I'm awake. Look at your neighbor. Look left and right. Okay, good. Everybody good? Young people, touch them if they need to be touched. Just a little touch. Okay, here's the question. What were... Daniel's three friends' names. Y'all, we know them. Come on, loud. Shadrach. Come on, y'all. Shadrach, Meshach. Now, we always say Abednego, but that's blue. It's A-B-E-D-N-E-G-O, Abednego. Okay? Now, interesting, isn't it, that a group this size, and there are 550, 60 chairs in here. Interesting in a group this size you all just told me they're Babylonian renames that they never claimed. If I ask you without looking, don't look. Uh-uh, y'all, uh, look up here. Y'all trying to look through there. Don't look down there. If I asked you to give me their three real names. See, see it's only mentioned in 6 and 7 that, that these, three, these names that are signed to them by the Babylonian pagans. 
These were Hebrews. These were followers of Yahweh, God. Their names assigned to them attached themselves to their relationship with God, but they were renamed in these three names that you just quoted that attached them to false gods, which they never were. And never again in the book of Daniel, they referred to by them. They were referred to by their real names. But when I asked you what their names were, you said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if I ask you, hey, what are their three names? I wonder, don't do it. I wonder how many of you could tell me their three real names. Isn't that interesting? So the same way the culture wanted to rename them, listen close, don't miss this. The culture wants to rename you. You see, they were Hebrews, they were children of God, they were followers of Yahweh in a foreign land. They didn't live there, that wasn't their homeland, and this ain't your homeland. Listen to me. Uh, this where you're living at is not where you're, matter of fact, the Word of God says your citizenship is in the city whose builder and maker is God himself. So you're passing through here like a sojourner, a pilgrim, right? The problem is we're all passing through here like this is our home, and we're letting culture rename who we are. And just like we knew the cultural names for those three guys, we don't want the world to know us by some new shape, form of me fitting in and being like everybody else. No, 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 I'm a son of the Most High God. You say, well, how would they rename me? Because they shape how you think. They put things on social media. They teach things in the school, propaganda. They put, and then we start living it. We just let it filter into our lives, and we don't make any stands, and we just sort of compromise. And all of a sudden, our lives just blend in with everybody else. And the world says, well, he's a Christian. I say, no, 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 he's not a Christian. He does the same things I say, all the same. And you just were renamed. And the culture wants to rename you. You need to know that. And, and, and young lady, listen to me. God says that you were created to help, and the world wants to reshape you and say that you're a feminist movement, you need to have the greatest career, and you ought to make the most money, and you ought to, and you ought to, and I beg you, don't let the culture rename you. Helper's not a bad thing. Helper's pretty high company. Anybody amen to that? Sir, you've been tabbed by God, the leader. The culture wants you to be a simple, dumb, weak, passive male that doesn't do male things, that sits back and just sort of lets things happen. And I beg you, under God, don't let the culture rename you because your family is struggling because of it. So then, I want us to consider for a moment those names, all right? So the three names they were named were, uh, Daniel was renamed Belshazzar, which means uh, Baal protect his life. Daniel didn't worship Baal. Culture tried to rename him. Hananiah, and you didn't know that was one of their names, that's Shadrach's real name. Hananiah, how about that? And Shadrach, he was renamed Shadrach, which means at the command of AQ. He wasn't under the command of AQ. He was under the command of Jehovah. Mishael was named Meshach. What did Meshach mean? Who is what AQ is? In other words, who is like the God AQ? AQ ain't no God. And the last one was Azariah. And Azariah was renamed Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo. Azariah wasn't the servant of Nebo. He was the servant of Yahweh. And so, I beg you today, don't let the culture rename you. Now then, we've reached the finish line. Can you imagine that? I feel like I've run three marathons this morning. Huh? Do you feel like today you have a little firmer grasp on the clarity of God in our culture? Do anybody feel like you got a little clearer grasp, right? Now, my question is, in response, uh, what are you going to do about it? 